Uh, good morning. Uh, we're in a series called Prayer. And uh, as we started last week, we're in the, walking through the Lord's Prayer for the next several weeks. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. And we are focusing on what is known as the Lord's Prayer, which begins in verse 9 and runs through verse 13. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be walking through and drawing out what Jesus was teaching. Again, he was not teaching like a model prayer that we have to pray this word for word. We can know that because Jesus didn't pray this prayer word for word every single time. The Apostle Paul didn't pray this prayer and, and prayers in the book of Acts aren't mentioned word for word like this. Rather, it is a, a formula. It gives us an approach into the presence of God. And so uh, this is what we're going to walk through. What is Jesus actually teaching us? Martin Luther, who is charged or given credit for leading the Reformation, said it's a good thing to let prayer be the first business in the morning and the last at night. He goes on to say concerning prayer that he has so much to do today that I have to spend at least three hours in prayer to get it done. C.S. Lewis would go on to write that if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. And this is what we're doing with prayer, is we're moving our, our focus, our perception from this world into the next as we come into the presence of the Father. And prayer is unlocking this power and this commitment and this connection with God. Um, there's not a person in here who's not busy. I mean, we've got kids, we have family, we have sporting events, we have things to do, things on our schedule, things that are pulling us one way or the other. And yet there's also not a person in this room that does not want to have a deep, meaningful impact in their life and through their life onto other people. And prayer is the key to making that impact. So last week we began with the first four words that Jesus taught when it comes to prayer. Our Father in heaven. And what we saw is that in looking at prayer is that prayer is a personal, intimate, and deep connection with God and His holiness in heaven. But prayer is not to be self-centered. Notice it is our Father and the other, your kingdom come, your will be done. Prayer begins, it is God-centered. It is focused on who He is and who we're talking to, but it's also not self-centered because it's community-centered. He is our Father. We're praying that He give us our daily bread and forgive our debts and, and our, as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. And so we're not praying just about ourselves, even though that seems to be a lot of times what we do is we lift up, God, what you want, we want you to do in our life. Instead, what prayer is and the way Jesus teaches it is that we are focused on Him and we're focused on the people that God has placed around us and we're praying for them and in faith we trust that they're praying for us. And so we are to be a place and a house of prayer, praying for one another, praying for Harvest Hill, praying for uh, our staff, praying for our leaders, praying for the people sitting next to you. Uh, matter of fact, I just want to encourage you as we go through this series, as you drive to church, and I know if you have kids that can be a very crazy time, but as you drive to church and you think about the people that are going to be sitting around you, whether or not you know their name yet, just pray for them. Pray for that, that their hearts will be ready to hear what God has to say to them. But we're going to continue walking through. We're going to deal with the next four words today. But before we do that, let's read the word of God, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6 in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you declaring you are the one true God. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are our righteousness, our provider, our shepherd, our guide. You are our peace. Father, we come before you as your people in the promises of your word where two or more meet, you are here. We come before you declaring your holiness, declaring that we want to hear your voice speaking to our hearts. We want our eyes to be open to see your truth, our ears to be able to hear it, our hearts to be softened to be able to apply it. Father, as we walk through your word and we understand the way you taught us to approach you, this incredible gift and grace of prayer, that our prayer lives would be transformed according to your will and according to your kingdom. We do ask for forgiveness where we have failed you, knowing that we continue to wrestle with sin as, as our brother Paul wrestled with sin. But Lord, knowing that you are an all-knowing God who knows all things about us, is not a, a person in this room or a thing in our life that is hidden from you. And so we come before you by the grace of and the blood of Jesus Christ be able to enter into your throne room of grace, begging and expecting you to speak to us. Lord, move upon our hearts in the way that only you can. Allow your spirit to speak to us in a way only you can. Allow your word to become living and active in, in our life as it is promised. We give this time to you and ask that you alone be glorified. And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has forgiven us of all of our sins. Amen. So let's look at this. Hallowed be your name there in verse 9. We're just going to really focus on those four words this morning. Hallowed be your name. I don't know about you. When I, when I hear that word hallowed, um, I really struggle with the meaning just by reading on the text. I mean, the closest thing we have in English to the word hallowed is Halloween. And neither of them are, are, are the same thing. Hallowed be your name, in some translations, reads that may your name be kept holy. The word hallowed is synonymous with the word sanctified in Scripture, meaning when I say hallowed be your name, Lord, I'm saying that your name is set apart. It is consecrated as holy. When we are taught to come before God and say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What Jesus is teaching us is when we come into the presence of God through the act of prayer, we are to come with a reverent heart. We are to come with fear and with awe, recognizing that I do not belong to be speaking to the holy of holies. The Greek word hallowed means the most holy of things. So our prayers begin like this. By declaring who God is by his name, who he is, what he has done, what he is doing, and we declare what he is going to do. Our prayer life begins by understanding that when I pray, I am speaking to someone greater than myself. And this is how God wants us to know him. And this is how God says he is to be known. He wants his people to know and address him in reverence. God, I don't deserve to talk to you, but you are holy, holy, holy. It is understanding that it is only by the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins that I'm even able to enter into your presence. I don't belong to even communicate with you. 
But because of Scripture, the Bible tells us that we who have faith in Jesus Christ, we have, who have trusted Him in His death and His resurrection for the complete forgiveness for our sins, it's not about what we have done, but what He has done completely, that we are now children of the promise, according to the book of Galatians. And by children of the promise, by our faith, we are now adopted in as children of God according to his covenantal blessings. When I say, hallowed be your name, I come with the understanding, okay, God, your name means something. I don't know about you, but when it came to naming our children, it was the, for Ethan, it was one of those things that Jamie and I had to go into separate rooms and make our own list and then come back and, and decide if we agreed upon any. And, and Ethan came up and we liked what Ethan stood for. You know, he stands firm. And then James is a brother of Christ. So we stand firm as a brother of Christ. That's, that's what our, our hope and pray for Ethan. And, and so when it comes to names in the Bible, they had significance. They had meaning just like that. For example, Eve was named Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Abram was renamed Abraham because he would be the father of the multitude of nations. And so when God says that you are to pray, hallowed be your name, he means that you are to pray my name as I have revealed myself in Scripture. You are to pray about my eternal nature, who I am, who I will always be. And so we look into the Old Testament beginning in Genesis and we see that God has given us 12 names all together in which he's revealed himself and who he will forever be. Now, names are different than attributes. When we say like uh, God is a refuge or God is a strong tower or God is a mighty warrior or God is love, those are attributes. Those are things that do not change about God. They're part of his eternal nature. But names are the ways God has revealed himself to his people. The very first name we come across in Scripture is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's so much in that one verse that we could spend all day on it, but we're focused on the name. The name God there in Genesis 1.1 is the name Elohim. It's E-L-O-H-I-M if you're trying to spell it in English. And what God does is he opens up with a declaration that in the beginning, Elohim which means the mighty, strong, prominent, great power. That's who I am as God. It speaks of, Elohim speaks of his greatness and his glory, his creativity and his governing power. It speaks of his omnipotence and his, sovereign, his sovereignty. So when I say, hallowed be your name, if I don't know anything else about God, I know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, Elohim. In the beginning, God, you are mighty. You are strong. You are powerful. In the beginning, God, hallowed be your name. You have complete authority all over all creation, and that includes my life. That's hallowed be your name. Hallowed, holy be you, Elohim. Holy be your God. The other familiar name of the Lord that we come across is that Lord. And as you read through scriptures, whether you know it or not, the, the name Lord, when it's in all caps, with the L being the prominent, so capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is a name that we, we don't read as in Hebrew, but it's the name Jehovah or Jehovah as it's pronounced in some ways. And it's the name Yahweh. Now, the Jewish people had such reverence to the name Yahweh, they would put it in all caps, capital Y, capital A, capital H, capital W, capital E, capital H, but they had such reverence that they wouldn't even pronounce it. 
They wouldn't even say it. So when Jesus says that before Abram, I am, he is saying uh, Yahweh. And, and that's why they wanted to stone him for blasphemy, because they said the name of the Lord, the covenantal God, the faithful God in the public square. And it wasn't to be uttered. Matter of fact, the Jewish people wouldn't even write the name out. They would drop out what we would call the vows. So we would read it uh, Y-H-W-H. When we read Lord in scriptures, God reveals him. He's saying that I am the supreme being. I am the supreme God. I am the faithful God, faithful to my word and to my covenant. That's Lord. Then there's also God Almighty, which we pick up in Genesis as well, which is El Shaddai. It's to say that, God, you are the self-existing one. Then there's Lord, where only the L is capital, and all the other letters are smaller case. It's the name Adonai. It means that, God, your, your name is hallowed. Adonai, you are my master. You are my owner. Jehovah Jireh, which is a name we've probably heard before. If you've heard the song, Jehovah Jireh. Never mind. It's a good one. Um, but it's a combination of Yahweh, Lord, meaning the covenantal faithful God, but also that he, the God who has complete authority over my life, complete authority over all creation, he is my provider. He is our provider. That's what Jehovah Jireh means. So when I'm praying to Lord and your name is hallowed, your name is holy, you are Jehovah Jireh. I am pronouncing that you are the provider of everything I have. You're provider of the breath I breathe, the food I eat, the water I drink, the roof over my head. You're the provider of my spouse. You're the provider of my children and my family. You're provider of the, of the, the table before me. You're provider of my bed and my pillow, and my clean clothes. You're provider of my vacation and my job. I think we have such a bad view of God that we don't understand that he is the ultimate provider of everything we have because, and the reason I say this is because we struggle with giving God 10% of what's already his. He's the owner. He owns 100% of your bank account, 100% of your retirement, 100% of everything you have. And to say, God, you know what? I really struggle with giving you 10% of what's already yours. That's why God says you're stealing from me. That's mine, because I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider, and I have provided that for you. In Scripture, another name of God is Jehovah Rophi, and this is from the Old Testament. It means God is in the complete authority of the one who heals. Jehovah Nisi, that the Lord is my banner, meaning the Lord is the one who is, who is supreme being, who pledges his presence and his protection upon his people. It is from this understanding that he is Jehovah uh, Nisi, that he is our protector and our strong tower, our refuge, our warrior. He is our, our defender. There is Jehovah Makedesh, saying that, God, you are the complete, and complete power and authority to set your people apart. Hallowed be your name. You have sanctified me as you are sanctified and have set me apart from this world. It is this understanding of, of God's name that Peter writes that we are now aliens and strangers in this world. We don't belong here because he has set us apart who he's done through Jesus Christ. There's Jehovah Shalom. You may have heard that name, that word Shalom. It means peace. It means the complete authority and power over all things is the giver of peace in my life. Jehovah Sidkenu, which is God is our righteousness. He declares me righteous. And if God, the supreme authority and power, declares me and you righteous by the faith in Jesus Christ, then nothing can declare us unrighteous. That's the name of the Lord. That's his faithfulness. 
There's Jehovah Roki, which is probably the most common. God is my shepherd. It means that he is my guide, my protector, my provider. He, he guides me and leads me to the mountaintops, but he also guides and leads me through the valleys, which takes us to another name, Jehovah Shammah, meaning the Lord is present. Even though he is the God of the heavens and he sits on his throne in the heavens, he's a God in his word that promises to never leave or forsake his people. That's Jehovah Shammah. That's how God is revealed. That is the name to which he's given us. As we have titles that we give people for maybe our jobs, when God gives his name, that's his title. This is who I am, and this is what I will always do. I am Yahweh. In the New Testament, we read in John chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus came to make God known. And when it comes to our prayers, it comes to this understanding that it is only through Jesus Christ that I now have access to Yahweh, to Elohim, to Adonai. It is by Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice and my faith in him that I am able to come into the presence and be able to understand who God is through his living word. And as God makes himself known to me, now through my prayers, I make what God has made known back to him. When I say, hallowed be your name to God, I'm basically telling God of all the ways he has revealed himself to me personally in my life and all the ways that he has revealed himself to me personally through his word. Prayer begins by a commitment to God the Father, our Father in heaven, but also a commitment to our community. And prayer continues when hallowed be your name, that our prayer goes from commitment to community to God and each other, but a commitment to the holiness of God. When we are commanded to pray hallowed be your name, we are commanded to pray and praise God and how he has revealed himself to be holy. Hank Canegraaff writes that, we should pray that God be given the unique reverence His holiness demands, and that is found in God's Word. St. Augustine wrote concerning the hallowed name of God that this is prayed for not as if the name of God were not holy already, but that it may be held holy by men. In other words, that God may be so become known to them that they shall reckon nothing more holy in which they are more afraid of, in which they are more afraid of offending. I can remember the first time I met Jamie's parents. Um, I don't know that I was necessarily invited to that uh, encounter, but uh, I overheard Jamie. We were at SBU, and she was a freshman, and I was, you know, heavily attracted. And she called, she called me Mike the Stalker, um, and this story probably doesn't help that. Um, so... I overheard her saying she had a, I remember she had a cross-country meet at SBU that week and I overheard her saying to one of her friends that her parents were going to come and watch her run on campus and that she was going to meet them in the student center, uh, which was on the SBU campus, and, and the relative time she was going to meet. And so I took that as an invitation to come and meet her parents, even though she was not talking to me at the time. And, uh, and so I made my way to the student center, and, and I walked in, and sure enough, there, were, there was Jamie, and there were her parents. And so when I introduced myself to her parents, do you, do you think I began the conversation, hey, man, what's up? Or some funny little joke? Or even do you, do you think I began by telling her dad, hey, I'm really interested in your daughter? Thanks for sending her to college. No. 
as you do when you meet any sort of individual, maybe you're dating someone and you remember the first time you introduced yourself to their parents and uh, you begin by being polite. We show reverence and, and so we say, hi, my name is Mike. Uh, it's nice to meet you, Mr. and Mrs. Helms. And, and I remember shaking their hand and thinking I did a great job and, and carrying on a little bit of conversation and then kind of making my way out. But I made the impression, right? Such a good impression that when I asked Jamie what her parents thought of me, even though she had no clue that I was really that interested, uh, all she told me is that, uh, well, my dad said he has earrings. I did have earrings. I had two here and one here. Um, and, uh, and so that next weekend, the earrings were gone. Um, because I wanted to make an impression. Matter of fact, it wouldn't be until Ethan was born that I called Jamie's dad by his first name, Danny, for the first time. It wasn't until Abby was born that I actually gave her dad a hug for the first time. I had such a, a fear and reverence towards this individual because I wanted to make a good impression. I wanted to show him respect and authority. The reality is, he is still a sinful individual, and he wouldn't be ashamed of me saying that. But sometimes we can treat God with less respect than we do with people. We, can bar, we won't barge into our boss's office. We won't yell at a superior. Um, we show respect, and, but when we come and address God, we, we just barge right into his throne room like we belong there. Like, this is where I should be. But the reality is I'm only able to enter into the holiness of God is because of who Jesus Christ was. This is how our prayer should begin. It begins with respect for the holiness of God and remembrance and how God has revealed Himself in Scripture in our life. In the Bible, in the Old Testament book of Isaiah and the New Testament book of Revelation, there are two men given the glimpses of the holiness, the power the authority and the supreme nature of God when God graced him with a vision from his throne room. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you can turn to Revelation chapter 1, but what i really like for you to do this morning, and this is going to be kind of weird for some of you, I would like for you to just close your eyes and hear the description to which the Apostle John tries to give us upon entering into the throne room of grace. He gives us a lot of visuals. If you want to read it on your own later, you can. I'm going to be reading from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 18, and then I'll be jumping to Revelation chapter 4. But here, here we go. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardi, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. 
And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And after this, I look and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. And carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around them and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We come into the presence of the hallowed, the holy, holy, holy. And instead of preaching on his holiness, instead of proclaiming how holy it is, wouldn't it be best if we just enter into the chorus that the heavenly beings are singing before him? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Hallowed is El Shaddai. Hallowed is Yahweh. Hallowed is Elohim, who was and is and is to come. I want to invite us in this moment to lift up praise to our God, who is holy, who is our protector, our defender, our provider declare of righteousness. And in this moment, I don't want us to just sing just to sing. 
But God has invited us by the blood of Jesus Christ into his presence to experience him. So as we go through these songs, if you feel led to come and kneel before the Father, to fall face down as John did, as the prophet Isaiah did, maybe your declaration is, woe is me, I am a person of unclean lips. Just kneel before him in his holiness. He already knows everything about you and me. There's nothing we can hide. There's nothing we have to hide. Declare that you are holy. pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can declare your holiness and we can know your holiness and we can know who you are. We can be called yours. You have made yourself known. So we come this time, Lord, to declare as your people, as your church, that hallowed be your name. Let us lift your name up in song. Let us lift your name up with raised hands. Let us lift your name up with prayers. Let us lift your name up as we fall to our knees before you. You are hallowed. You are holy. We don't deserve to be here. Let your name alone be glorified in this place. As we join with your heavenly creatures, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come.